Hi, welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails Podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host for the day. Today I'm going to be joined by a couple of friends in the industry that have a, a really interesting background when it comes to outbound e-commerce marketing, specific to email marketing, uh, among other channels that uh, that they work with. And thought it would be a great opportunity to, to talk about how to best optimize uh, your outbound email marketing in the e-commerce industry. And so uh, let me start off by introducing uh, Joe from Emarsis and Steve from Webula. Uh, Joe, you want to introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. So Joe Devine, uh, I manage strategic partnerships and alliances for Emarsis. Um, I've been in this space, boy, I don't want to date myself, but you know, it, it goes back a couple of decades. Um, you know, e-com specifically has really been a focus of mine, maybe 15 years. And at Amarsis, our platform uh, focuses primarily on that vertical and email is certainly, um, at, at the heart of, of our direct, uh, digital addressable, uh, marketing strategies. Cool. And Steve? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Steve Wagner. I'm Senior Marketing Manager at Webula. I've uh, been in the marketing game for about 15 years or so, and specifically uh, leading the strategic direction of marketing at Webula uh, since the beginning of the year. So um, happy to jump on board and, and talk about this uh, very, uh, very important subject that I've lived a long time in. Awesome. So, you know, th this takes me back to my digital agency days, of course. <laughs> and whenever we talk about uh, email marketing, it all starts with the list. It all starts with, with the contacts that you're going to be reaching out to. Um, why don't we start off talking a little bit about building a, a you know, a, a healthy list and what that looks like, uh, what the process looks like from the start and keeping that, keeping momentum of that so that things don't get too stale. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, any, any great marketing campaign can, can really start and end, uh, with the um, the acquisition or the lack of a, of a solid and, and accurate list. So uh, at Webula, we help organizations every day uh, validate and, and verify um, that the, uh, the targets that they're going after are accurate um, and also uh, make sure that they're threat-free um, so that the deliverability and sender reputation um, um, in any campaign is, is as uh, solid as possible. So we help organizations identify those threats within their list, but then also make sure that, um, you know, we are helping them with any, uh, you know, typos, any uh, bad information within their uh, database and help identify that before they kick things off. So a merchant might start off with a list from, let's say, uh, from their e-com platform, from their point of sale, from their ERP, their CRM, it, you know, they, they could have data squirreled away um, <laughs> in, in just about any disparate system across uh, their organization. And in some cases, that can get a little older or some data entry, you know, the, the human element um, yeah. can be an issue. So basically, your team will ping some of that data, clean it up um, so that it, it's a better list to start from. Yeah, a typical engagement for us, Robert, is an organization comes to us and says exactly that. You know, we, we've acquired uh, information from various sources over various years. And gosh, we can't remember the last time we've actually updated this thing or actually had it clean. Right. So uh, we will help level set in many respects, you know, where they sit with their current information. Uh, then uh, the conversation can generally turn to, well, let's make sure that that information stays fresh, you know, moving forward. So we're not revisiting this, you know, situation two years from now. Right. So 
Uh, you know, Webula also has the uh, the ability uh, through a real time API um, called our Lead Hygiene product, where we're able to validate information as it's input into the system as well. So uh, we help level set, kind of get you in a position where your list is uh, fresh, but then keep that freshness going uh, as they acquire more information in the future. Yeah. And now, aside from just typos or maybe email addresses that are no longer active, uh, from my history, for better or worse, uh, I've also run into email addresses that are, are known to spam lists that are, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, honeypots or right. uh, I don't know what, what we're calling them these days. But um, does your team play a role in helping to keep an eye for anything bad that may have been seeded into a list, you know, maybe... You know, so somebody doesn't like a company throws a bad email right. address into a sign up form, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a real differentiation for us. And many organizations come to us and say, "Yeah, I've uh, I've worked with other providers in the past, and they've just been able to tell me that an email was valid or not, and that that has value." Um, but at the end of the day. That, uh, you know, um, a malicious mole, uh, you know, a honeypot, a spam trap is also a deliverable email address, right? So um, it's a real eye opener to organizations when we first give them, you know, that kind of that, that first report of where everything kind of sits um, in the threat detection side of things. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, uh, Robert. We're able to um, identify, you know, organizations, that, you know, or, or excuse me, email addresses that we know are bots or phishing attacks or honeypots. Um, so they can be more targeted and more personalized in their messaging and really, you know, keep those messages away from those, uh, those pieces of their data. Yeah. And so Joe, Webula comes in, you know, helps w- clean up existing lists and, and, and helps maybe to, to append some data to existing lists to, uh, enrich the data, um, Tell me a little bit about ongoing collection. Where do you see merchants do really well? Uh, you know, is it collecting addresses as people are checking out? Is it you know other campaigns that help to to drive uh, you know the new subscriber acquisition? Absolutely, Robert. All of the above. Um, you know, I know we're going to talk about deliverability in a bit, but the ability to obviously end up in someone's inbox does start with identification. And when someone's engaging your brand, anonymous traffic coming to your site for the first time, you need to have the strategies and tactics in place to identify that traffic. Um, You know, one of the best ways to do so in the digital world is their email address. So the initial light box on entry, very common. We've seen it all, you know, all over the place and and for good reason, because it works. Identifying those sessions at the email address level is certainly a list growth strategy and tactic, and it works very well. But you need to think about how you're engaging those sessions, those individual um, contacts during that first hour, three hours, day via the email channel automatically. Um, It's that identification that is so important, that acquisition initially when someone engages your brand that you know, can increase conversion rates tenfold. Um, so making sure that all of those prospects or leads who have not converted are identified at the highest rate possible using tactics like a light box, very important. To your point though, um, you know, engaging a customer immediately after the sale, um, not just from a transactional perspective, but from an engagement perspective, from a marketing perspective, um, telling a story about your brand. Why would they want to buy again? Helping them understand what they're going to expect during the order process. That's hugely important too. So during the cart, uh, the checkout funnel, absolutely ask. Um, in some cases, and it's legal, 
why not add everybody as a new customer um, coming through the funnel to your marketing list and give them the opportunity to opt out, but prove to them there's a good reason that they're on your list in the first place by providing valuable, personalized, relevant, targeted content during that first, say, week after they buy from you for the first time. So, you know, that brings a, a few more questions from my side. Uh, I know that a few years ago, Google got more serious about, you know, pop-ups and, and modals and light boxes and such that were interfering with, with the user experience. So um, my understanding has always been, though, that as long as it's user-friendly, it's easy to click out of on mobile, um, and perhaps in some cases, maybe even you use cookies or such so that you don't keep serving up the same uh, the same screen over and over again to right. someone already interacted with it. Um, would your experience be similar that as long as it's user friendly and that it, it's a well constructed uh, system that it makes sense? Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, I think Google in their terms of service uses the word modal and interstitial. And the definition of those words are like, you know, you can't obstruct a visitor's ability to interact with your site. Um, you know, you, you can't create, to your point, um, you know, a landing page experience that is outside the intended, uh, you know, I don't know what the legalese is to, to verbatim in the, in, the, in, the, in the Google terms of service. But yes, I mean, your whole goal is to warm and nurture and create a positive experience of these website visitors. So you need to have command and control and business logic and the technology to back it up. Um, so you are presenting a user experience that's welcomed and desirable. I mean, though, it, without that, acquisition is, is, is probably going to not just suffer, but can even be problematic. Um, you know, the worst email you send is to those who don't want email, right? And that'll come up, I'm sure, in, in the you know, later part of this discussion around deliverability yeah. and reputation. Do you find that during that sign-up process, that giving users a chance to choose maybe which topics they'd like to receive emails on? I mean, I, I know we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, about segmentation and such based upon shopping habits and things like that. But if someone is going out of their way to register for email, is that something that, that's sometimes helpful, giving them some choice? Absolutely. Um, I think someone recently coined the term zero-party data, um, <laughs> data that our customers are giving to us. Great. Um, but you don't want an overly burdensome acquisition funnel either. So you need to think about the most compelling and valuable data points that are going to help you more effectively engage that audience member. You don't need presence of pets and household income if your content is simply bifurcated male and female. You need to know gender and that's it. Um, you know, if, if your product mix is based on outdoor activity and that really differentiates um, you know the content you'd provide maybe that's the only question you asked um, so absolutely that data is important and and that does to your point play into segmentation strategy which ultimately plays into the context of relevancy and, and targeting and my last question on acquisition for the moment i reserve the right to come up with more right uh, when it comes to some kind of an offer, like getting a coupon for registering for an email list or reward points, you know, for if you've got a loyalty program or, or some other kind of benefit, do you find that that really moves the needle a lot, that people need that push? Do you find that they just unsubscribe in a week anyway? 
Um, any major thoughts on, on that process? Uh, thoughts for days, Robert. Um, how much time do we have here? Uh, so, you know, incentives are incentive. They're incentives. They incentivize folks, right? I mean, people like a free lunch. Um, so couponing is, is typically highly effective. And sure, you get your bargain basement shoppers who will elicit behaviors that you don't want. Um, but you can understand that in the data. You can, you can go back, you can look at your acquisition funnel, you can understand who's coming through, who's buying one time with a coupon and never buying again and unsubscribing a week later. That behavior is clear to see. But you can also see folks who are coming in, maybe you've identified them, and you can overlay a propensity or a predicted lifetime value, for instance, of a high dollar amount um, based on some data that you have. That might be the perfect opportunity to give them a really um, you know, powerful incentive to buy for the first time, knowing that you might keep them as a customer. Um, folks that have map constraints, maybe some kind of price integrity constraints, maybe profitability constraints, you know, you can do incentivization beyond dollars. Um, a good example, I worked with a client, they were selling a, a product in the outdoor space with an AOV of like $600. They had a free gift with purchase, which was a can koozie. It was <laughs> like 30 cents. Yeah. Like pack and ship with every order. 30 cents all in on a $600 AOV and they increased their conversion rate in that new acquisition funnel with that offer by marked percentage. And what I love about things like that is that, you know, I've had clients so over time that have had to follow map pricing, uh, you know, and, and the manufacturer sets the, the lowest price that you can sell at. But typically offering them a free gift with their order doesn't violate any of that. So, there's Sometimes. a lot of things that you can do to differentiate so that, yeah, everyone else is offering the exact same thing at the exact same price, but if they get it from you, they get a koozie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of fun stuff like that. Um, and, you know, while we're wrapping up on uh, on the list uh, acquisition side of things, um, I imagine that a lot of the times, um, you know, you mentioned that we don't want to get in the way of the, uh, the shopper or, or the visitor um, from signing up for the list, that the most common form that I run into is just asking for an email address. Uh, and Steve, I know that your team has some ability to append data, um, you know, and, and may, maybe this will focus it toward both of you, but uh, I would imagine that being able to send more personalized messages where it's, you know, instead of just saying, you know, hi, list subscriber, you're actually saying, you know, uh, hi, Steve, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. hi, Joe, uh, where you've got a little bit more going on there. Um, do you see that as, as a value prop to get the list quickly, but be able to append to it as well from other known data that's in the universe? I can take it. I mean, data is powerful. You know, data-driven decisions, especially when you're automating them, are powerful. So um, if, you know, you use, let's say, a real-time API to ping someone like Webula to overlay that data, absolutely, that can help you craft better quality messaging. You do run that risk of the creepiness factor, right? You do need to consider right. if they didn't tell us, you know, that, that your first name's Joe, do you want to call him Joe? Um, you know, out in the real world, if you walk into a retail shop and you meet someone behind the counter who's never met you before and they say, hi, Joe, welcome, you know, that's, that's creepy. So mm -hmm. you can balance that. Um, when you think of acquisition um, and data points, let's say outside the email channel, 
mobile number, Facebook account, um, web session ID, cookie, all of these other unique identifiers that can help you align a more targeted engagement strategy will add value. And you don't need to think about acquisition and list growth simply by counting the number of email addresses you have on file. Um, understanding the percentage of that audience where you also have a mobile number, or how about folks where you only have a mobile number and no email address, or how about folks where you've identified them uh, on Facebook, but you have not a mobile number or an email, what can we do then? And the same type of warming and nurturing for that like first week of their engagement with your brand could happen via social and you can automate that. Yeah, I'll add that, uh, you know, we typically get um, the request to, to add in uh, other parts of PII. Uh, you know, initially I, I have phone number, but I need email or I need email and I need phone number and name, you know, to kind of validate who they are. Uh, we're able to also layer in over 110 different kind of like personal interests sources as well. So we can you know, help take that educated guess factor, you know, kind of way up um, and say that, you know, based on um, you know, the information that they've provided in the past, you know, the, the, we know that they're more likely to respond to, you know, this type of messaging, you know, from personalization, uh, X, Y, and Z. Um, I think it's important to note that when you do that, just make sure you're careful where that data is coming from. I know model data and AI is kind of you know, all the rage right now and things of that nature, but um, you can certainly um, uh, you know, set yourself up for failure if you're not validating uh, where that uh, modeling is coming from. The good news with Webula is that all of our data is completely self-reported, uh, deterministic, individually linked. Um, you know, We never use model data to artificially inflate a database or artificially inflate maybe an interest that that, that person doesn't necessarily have. So um, that's always something we caution. We don't, you know, say it's, it's, a, it's not a, you know, a bad thing to do. It's just that uh, it's not as good as you know, being individually linked and being directly linked to that person that you're marketing to. And let's shift over a little bit more to, so we've got our list, right? We've cleaned it up. We've uh, you know, we've nurtured it and, and we're continuing to do so to, to continue keeping that, uh, that that healthy list growing and you know it's 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 its own beast. Uh, now it comes time to actually get uh, some ROI out of that list that we've got. So um, sending times, you know, I've I found different industries, different types of products, whether it's consumer products and even depending on what type of consumer it's targeting, demographically or otherwise, uh, versus B two B. When an email send works, you know, I've. And uh, luckily, I don't send out too many e-blasts these days. But, you know, I, I don't usually like to send something that's going to be in people's inboxes at the beginning of the day when they're cleaning out their junk. <laughs> um, you know, I, I personally and, you know, I don't know how the metrics have shifted, but, you know, I've always liked to send something a little bit more toward midday uh, if I'm targeting B2B. Um, on consumer, though, I, I've seen it work both ways, depending on, you know, what people's interactions are going to be like. Uh, you know, Joe, what have you seen? And you probably see a lot of this data. Absolutely. And and the way that you just positioned that makes me smile. Um, I actually wrote an article moons ago in, I, I think it was multi-channel merchant. And, and it was all about the best time to send email because it is such a hot topic um, and still is, which which sometimes boggles my mind. And I think to your earlier points, like that's fair and all, you know, thinking about mm. user behavior and when someone might be in their inbox or when they're, you know, ultimately checking email. Um, but no one recipient is created the same. Um, now, back then, 
what I was writing about was the concept of, you know, send time optimization or, you know, intelligence and data-driven decisions about when to get an email in front of someone. And I basically said, it doesn't matter when you send email and no little gizmo or feature is going to help you kind of get in the inbox at the right time. What you really need is for the recipient to acknowledge the brand and they know who you are because you've been sending them quality content. You've been engaging them since day one. And that truly, when you think, when you think about the numbers and the metrics and you think about engagement metrics, opens, reads, clicks, um, you know, how people are responding, reacting to email, those are impacted most successfully when you get the timing um, or, or the frequency rather right. And frequency is almost always driven by relevancy. So that has to be taken into account. Now, fast forward five years, I think we've gotten really good as an industry in using data to understand delivery times. And so with a more sophisticated piece of tech, I think at a personal level, and the numbers prove this, you can understand habits better uh, individually. So no longer do you have to say Tuesday at 10 a.m. is the best time to send an email or Thursday at 2 p.m. is the best time to send an email, but rather you can use historical data for each individual to understand when they're engaging your email messages. And in that case, you can use a feature like send time optimization to get that email out the door at the right time for your entire audience. So you've got a campaign that instead of sending all in one moment, it's actually going to, uh, and I'll misuse the word drip, but it's, it's going to send out uh, the campaign at the right times for the right users. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it does. And it's not simply a, you know, a feature that is on a sales slick to sound interesting, but it truly is um, a good amount of insight, you know, looking at historical data, looking at many opens over the course of time mm-hmm. and looking at trends and how it changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it personally as a marketer myself. I've seen it go from that conversation Joe was talking about five years ago where, hey, Tuesday at 1038 is the universal time that everyone, you know, is opening their email. I've seen it migrate to and having the ability through the advanced analytics to see what your list's best time is over time, right? You, you know, you, it might end up being Tuesday, you know, morning, but it's, it's, it's more centralized to the X number of people that you have in your database because you're able to see that analytics and that trending that Joe was just talking about. I've totally, I've witnessed it. I've, I've lived it. Um, and I've told, you know, the folks that I report to, it's not about a universal time anymore. It's about what I know from our list and how they respond. Yeah. And I could imagine that even depending on what's in the campaign, that the response could be different, that maybe there's a time of day when people are, you know, or or a moment where, you know, certain parts of a group are, are more likely to sit and watch a video or read a white paper versus click through and buy something because it's on sale. Um, you know, that depending on exactly what, what you're going after that, I don't know, I, I guess as, uh, as humans, we're tricky. (laughs) I would, I would absolutely agree, Robert. And it's one of the reasons why you would want to turn on a feature like send time optimization for some campaigns and not for others. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And so we know when to send it. Now we've got to get people to actually open the message uh, subject lines. That's always been fun. Obviously, you want your subject line to match as well as it can to the content within the the message. You want to be on point and not frustrate anyone or create any spam 
issues for yourself. Um, you know, you certainly want to watch out for any negative spam keywords that that spam filters might pick up on. Um, but you know, you want to be enticing. I mean, there's that that art and science to it, right? Uh, um, Joe, what would your recommendation be to someone that's uh, that's tasked with writing new uh, email subject lines on an ongoing basis? So, I think it's simple and quick. Test, test, test. Um, most platforms, your platform should allow you to easily test subject lines, and in all actuality, coming up with subject lines is kind of fun for the team, you know, and you don't have to just stay within your bounds of marketing to come up with cool, nifty subject lines um, to, you know, talk about, um, you know, living it in the real world. As, as Steve mentioned, as a marketer, ask folks in IT, ask folks in the call center, ask even, you know, folks in fulfillment, have a little contest. I need 5, 10, 15 subject lines for these upcoming 10 campaigns, intermingle those things into three, four, five, six tests of your subject lines, and you should have a platform that can easily pick a winner and then automatically deploy to the rest of the list. Simple as that. And just doing that as a practice can uplift open rates probably three to 5%, which can be very meaningful if you're talking to two, four, six, eight, hundred thousands of people, millions even. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would add to search yourself. You know, I, I you know I don't typically get a chance to check email every waking minute, so I'll let a few hours go by and I'll go into my inbox and I get you know the same general messages a lot right in my personal email. Uh, as I look at six, seven, eight, you know, nine eight messages, I you know I see the same old same old subject lines and aren't catching my eye. But then there's that one that did catch my eye, and you know I've I've really trained myself over the last several years to. Not only you know catch myself catching myself, uh, you know catching that you know catching the that subject line, but understanding why you know stopping and, and actually analyzing that message. Um, even if I plan to do nothing with that message, just why did it catch my eye? Can I apply that to my next campaign? You know that I do and do and do that test 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 as Joe was talking about, and I couldn't agree anymore um, with that assessment. I don't think there is a perfect. Uh, you know, subject line, it works all the time. It's ever evolving and people are getting more and more, uh, you know, knowledgeable about email. So that is, a, that is a living thing and you have to continually test that. Uh, and what you used last year, you will not use this year. I have a feeling that, you know, after this airs that someone's going to reach out to us and ask us about subject lines and we're all going to geek out over it. <laughs> yeah. We're all about it. Yeah. I, I don't want to admit to this, but I happen to get emails from a large uh, chain that sells cheeseburgers, I was receiving subject lines that were upside down using like basically <laughs> and it was a, I saw that. It was literally upside down words. I was impressed. It was pretty cool. Mm. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, sometimes that's all it's about is making you smile a little bit. goes a long way. Um, and so, you know, I, I've mentioned that the word spam enough times already <laughs> that I, we should actually talk about uh, you know, that, that whole issue, um, you know, deliverability, there's more junk mail going out than ever. You know, there's, there's certainly, uh, people have no idea how much is being blocked from their inboxes. Forget what's getting to their junk or spam folder, but just the 99 or whatever percent of emails that are floating out there that never even make it to them. Um, what are some of the things that folks can do these days, you know, above and beyond what we've already touched on or, or maybe diving a little bit deeper to make sure that their emails do get delivered. 
Oh, go ahead, Jim. Oh, well, I was going to say this is, this is something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. And I don't want to refute what we've already, you know, spoken about with regards to spam filtering. However, it's, it's pretty different when you're talking B to C and who you're targeting versus let's say B2B. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for a business to consumer mailer, chances are you're targeting 70% Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo. That's not uncommon. And Mm -hmm. Gmail is, is huge. Gmail is primarily focused on modern filtering techniques revolved around reputation. Mm-hmm. And reputation in the deliver in the deliverability world is pretty much identical to what you see in the credit score world. Yeah. Your behaviors as a you know as a consumer um, basically drive your credit score. So if you have a high credit score, you're a good actor, and people are happy to uh, you know give you credit. Mm-hmm. If your reputation in the email world is high. You're a good actor and people give you inbox access. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a bad actor, your reputation suffers and that's where you're getting filtered. You're getting in junk, et cetera. And the truth is with this model, there's no way to fool it. There's no way to game the system. You need to send quality email to quality contacts or you're never going to get in the inbox. It's pretty simple. Um, I can elaborate much further on that. Um, how much time do we have here? Robert? <laughs> but you know, this all does consi- you know, have to do with things like Webula, making sure that you have a clean quality list, um, you know, making sure that you have relevant and targeted content. Um, one thing to, to take away here, tactically speaking, is the concept of ratios. If you're sending a million emails and literally 10 people out of a million are opening those messages, Google knows that. And there's no way, no how that the next message you send is going to end up in the inbox. If you send a million emails and half a million people open, however, totally different story. That's positive reputation. That's good behavior. People receiving email and opening it. Bad behavior, you send a million emails and 25% of them bounce. No way, no how is that email getting in the inbox. Google knows it. They see that bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You're done. The so, same way that, that they look at SEO that, you know, you start to get some good rankings for yeah. something, but the bounce rate's extremely high, you know, that all, all the metrics that Google can see suggest that people don't really want to be on that page. That ranking's not going to last very long. So I'm, I'm with you there that yeah. uh, <laughs> the systems are too smart for it. And I know Steve, you had some, some thoughts I could, <laughs> I could tell on. Yeah. I was just, I was going to echo what, what Joe said uh, with respect to sender reputation. I think um, it's always something that's in the back of your mind as a marketer. Um, but you know, what are a question we always ask you, what, what are you doing to ensure it? Right. We, we provide kind of that insurance aspect to it, right. You, you can answer that question that I'm, I'm regularly cleaning my list and having it run against reputation threats um, so that it, it uh, gives me the best possible chance of, of keeping that reputation as high as possible. And, and I have inherited marketing departments where the previous marketer uh, was blacklisted, and that's not fun. Um, it's uh, it's a long, arduous, you know, IRS, <laughs> um, you know, type uh, experience where you're having to prove that you are not a spammer, uh, and it's not uh, innocent until proven guilty. I think in many cases you are, you know, they consider you guilty until you proved yourself innocent in that regard. So, mm-hmm. um, I've taken over for departments that uh, that have had to go through that process, and it, uh, I think sender reputation um, is also the you know, the number one mystery that folks come to us with a problem and, and say, hey, we've been sending email for a long 
long time, but just for the for the last you know X amount of, of months or years, we've we've seen a, a you know deliverability issue. And we just can't put our finger on it. And you know, again, we're not in the business of prescribing um, you know as much as identification, but we will you know run run a test amount of, of data through um, our system and show them that the, they're they're missing out on uh, you know they're they're, they're hitting honey pots at a, at a higher than normal rate. They're hitting uh, bots and phishing attacks, and that's a really uh, good first step into getting that reputation, turning that reputation around. Well, and you know, there's a reputation as well for the domain itself, and, and typically for the IP addresses where these emails are sending from. Uh, at JetRails, where we're you know primarily hosting e-commerce sites themselves, you know we we're real advocates of keeping your corporate email separate from your transactional email, separate uh, typically from from your your marketing blasts and and your uh, your email marketing campaigns. Um, where you know different IPs uh, sending sending different things, and so that those transactional emails shouldn't really be impacted um, by other things that that you're engaging with, etc. That uh, you know divide and conquer. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. That's a whole other subject, I suppose. But um, you know, I, I also know that I, I've run into email marketing platforms themselves where they're sharing IPs a lot, and so if there is a a bad actor in the network that there's a sender that's, you know, got a bad list or that's sending out some junk mail, um, that'll start to really impact others. And so, you know, I, I've found that sometimes just switching um, your, your email marketing platform can start to, uh, to improve your overall deliverability and, uh, and opens and such. Yep. You make a good point, Robert. Um, the repair of deliverability, and Steve, you talked about this too, is often one of the most difficult things um, to achieve. But one of the interesting things, and, and I could talk at length for this and would be happy to follow up with anybody who's listening that, that wants to talk about repair. But to your point, when you switch an ESP, often you're spending a lot of time warming up your reputation, warming IPs, warming your domain, getting the recipient um, ISPs, for instance, to see who you are, understand that you're a good actor, and that you're, you should have inbox placement. When you think about repair of deliverability, that's another good way to envision fixing your reputation. Go back to that concept of warming. What did we do? Well, we only targeted our most engaged recipients for the first you know, 15 days. Well, maybe it's time to go back to that. Or what can we do to increase engagement? Um, so Gmail, for instance, sees a higher level of open reads, clicks, and replies, all very valuable stuff. Um, We've done that in the past to, to help folks is let's do these three strategic campaigns over the next month to this specific segment of the audience to actually increase our reputation. And that can help you get, uh, you know, out of the uh, penalty box, if you will. And so now we've, we've sort of gotten our ducks in a row, I guess, at this point um, to the point of figuring out, uh, you know, what's actually going into these messages, you know, for e-commerce, obviously there's going to be, Things like sales and closeouts and new products, uh, you know, there are going to be some really direct sales-related emails going out, out there, you know, discounts and Black Friday and holidays and, and what have you. And, and so that's, you know, n- new services and I, I don't know, you know, refurbs, whatever you, you can push out there. Uh, what else do you see work for, for e-commerce merchants specifically to vary up that messaging, because I always feel like if if I get nothing but 
Uh, and again, I try not to overuse myself as a barometer because there's other types of shoppers and folks out there. But if I get nothing um, but sales pitches all day from uh, a retailer or a, a you know or, or some kind of B two B seller, some sort of post sale or manufacturer, that I, I can get a little burnt out of those lists. Um, so not all, not just the frequency that where I don't necessarily want an email a day or or two or three emails a week um, from someone trying to sell me something. Uh, but I don't necessarily want it to be just that, that that doesn't necessarily make me feel warm and fuzzy about their brand. What are some of the other types of campaigns mixed in that you see help, help keep things healthy, help you know, keep the mix yeah. going? I mean, I've historically categorized three different types of campaigns generally, promotional, product, and informational. Um, that's an easy mix of collateral that can be deployed. You already hit promotional. We know what they are. Um, you know, product-centric campaigns are a mix of informational campaigns, but when you think about how users have engaged your brand, making sure that we have the right product mix um, in front of folks without necessarily incentives can can be engaging, whether that's subject line, whether that's pre-header, whether that's above the fold, below the fold, making sure that you're resonating from a product perspective as a e-com retailer is important. And then informational, you know, there's product specific information, but there's also things like UGC review data, review content reviews themselves. Um, it can be tech sheets, info sheets, or it can be lifestyle content surrounding your products and your audience. Those are all um, types of campaigns that I think can help fill in the marketing calendar, but beyond topics or beyond the types of collateral, you need to think about automation and you need to think about the customer journey. And instead of that standard batch and blast campaign that's going out to everybody, how do we use the timeliness of user behavior to be relevant as well? Beyond a promotion, how about price drop alert, back in stock alert, abandoned cart alert, site browse, even things like birthday, anniversary. These are all very personally relevant to a recipient and give you the opportunity to put some really good content in an email based on how someone has engaged um, your brand. I'll add that, um, you know, Matthew Sweezy from Salesforce was just talking about this yesterday on his Twitter feed. I would add that, you know, a, pur- a purposeful marketing campaign, uh, you know, uh, something talking around your passion, right? If, if you're, uh, you know, if you're an outdoor brand, um, really, you know, driving, just sending messages out and, and, and getting, hopefully aligning your customers up with a, a passion for the outdoors or causes that help support that passion. Um, really, you know, they, they mix things up. They're not pitchy, like you were saying, Robert, they're not selling you anything, but hopefully you that customer walks away from that message going, yeah, right on. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with that. I'm, I'm with that message that I just read. And, you know, the next time months from now, when it comes time to make a decision on making a purchase, I can make that. I can make that purchase decision with that added layer of purpose behind it. I'm supporting your brand because I align in some strategic values or goals, you know, that you have as an organization. I think that's a you know, it's a really hot topic right now. Uh, and he was just talking about that yesterday. So it's time that we're you know we're discussing that now on this podcast. Well, and there are generations now that do, in a lot of ways, they like to vote with their dollars. That they they like to support organizations that they feel are, are watching out for the greater good. So, you know, when you've got your social awareness, what you're out there doing in the community, um, when you're you know you're, you're focusing on more than just the particular product, but how you're improving as an organization and and what you're doing to do your part 
um, can be engaging and people are interested in it. You know, it's like pe people want to know how the stuff is made. They, you know, uh, unboxing videos <laughs> had become yeah. big. I don't know if that's still as, as big a thing as it was, but, um, you know, people like engaging in more than one way, even, you know, uh, understanding how to compare products uh, above and beyond reviews, you know, understanding how to shop for a particular product or, you know, uh, how often they, they should really be replacing a certain renewable. Um, that there's a lot that you can be sharing with folks that endear them to your brand that make you experts in your field and not just salespeople. And I've always found that to be healthy. I mean, look, even when it comes to things like couponing, I've told folks, you know, for yeah, you can just offer the, you know, 20% off, but think about giving people three coupons to choose from that are going to give them 10% off and give another 10% uh, to a charity. And so they can vote with their you know, with their coupon for which charity is, is going to get the other 10%. And, you know, something engaging, but, uh, and it, it's not hard. Um, you know, I, I don't know how creative it really is, but, you know, I don't know, uh, but it's something you don't see often. Right. Uh, and so I, I just like anything that differentiates really. And, and, you know, Joe, much to your point about putting a subject line upside down, just something that, that grabs your attention a little bit more and, uh, you know, that feels like it wasn't, uh, you know, phoned in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. is, is that what everyone's going to take away from this podcast? <laughs> yeah, we're going to see a, we're, all of our inboxes are going to fill with that now. Uh, and so, you know, I'm certainly a fan of, I know, Joe, you were diving into segmentation and personalization, um, being able to send messages that are going to really resonate more with the user based on data that we have that that we know based upon their e-commerce shopping history and habits uh and uh, and steve you were talking a little bit about perhaps the ability to append some of that information which i don't run into as often um i take it that, that your team has data sources for some of that that information about uh, you know what might resonate with folks yeah, we definitely, we've over, you know, the organization's been in business for 10 years now. And as a, a function of uh, our, our other services, we're also been able to, you know, to collect self-reported, deterministic, individually linked, um, you know, things about, um, you know, over 80% of the U.S. consumer market. So, you know, we're able to to add in um, really unique insight, I think, to people's existing information. So it usually comes, the request usually comes to us and typically two you know, one or two scenarios. Uh, I'm missing, you know, really important pieces of my data help. Um, um, or I'd like to learn a little bit more about my, about my customer. You know, I think I have a really good set of PII, um, but I want to learn more about their interests. So we're able to, you know, through a combination of our data, uh, help append missing pieces to that, that existing data. We also get our fair amount of people asking us to sell us that stuff. And we will not do that. Um, we, we make it very clear uh, that we're not, you know, data sellers. Um, we, you will have to you know, provide your own list to us for us to append that extra information to it. But um, I think that uh, that just helps, uh, you know, just hyper, hyper personalize, hyper segment um, and give you more confidence in marketing um, because you know more about that audience. I think nothing tells a marketer more um, to be able to run in and talk, tell the CEO that they know that a significant portion of their audience um, has this particular interest or, or that particular, uh, you know, buying interest. Let's do a marketing campaign and let's, like Joe said earlier, let's test, test, test um, to see if that is valid or not. Yeah. And so I guess the, the last mile for me, uh, you know, we, we've tackled, <laughs> you know, the entire process of getting to the point of getting the, this email, uh, you know, getting the, the user's information, getting uh, an e a message put together that's going to resonate with them, 
um, and getting it into their inbox, getting them to open it. Uh, now, you know, at that point, it, it's about where we're driving them. Um, so I, I know that from the hosting standpoint, that that's where we partner up with, with, with you know, fine folks like, like your teams. And Joe, I know we put out a, a great article with Emarsis, uh, you know, a, a number of weeks ago um, that talked about how web hosting impacts the, uh, you know, the email marketing uh, experience and, and certainly the numbers. Um, do you find the things like like uh, the loading speed on the website? I mean, people, you know, come to to you folks when it comes to, you know, getting out the campaigns, but, you know, you, you can bring the, the horse to water. <laughs> you can't necessarily make him drink if, if the water doesn't show up for, for you know, <laughs> too long. You know, it's, it's funny because it's so foundational to what we do in the digital space that it almost can be overlooked. And it, it uh, you know, I think about email and how old email is, you know, I think the first marketing email went out in like 1998 after Amazon sent their first marketing email, you know, it started to become a thing. And this, that's old, really old when you think about the, the life of the internet. Um, so when you think about hosting and, and the, and the performance of websites, it is truly where, you know, the buck stops there. And, and to your point, I could send you, you know, 10,000 clicks from an email. And if page load times are happening measured in three, four, five seconds, I'm sorry, you've just completely dropped the ball and there's zero ROI on that. Campaign. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's funny that we still run into folks where, uh, you know, their scalability is the issue. So they send out these great campaigns, but they get too many, they get too good a response. They get too many people coming to the site. Site can't handle it. Um, and you know they they come over to us to to try to resolve issues like that. But it's it's kind of interesting that look if your site's not secure, if it's not performing, um, you know that that your all that good branding that you're putting out there and and all that relationship that you're you're building with the shopper can go down the tubes so quickly. Um, and, and I'd say that that goes for the entire conversion rate optimization funnel when it comes to the website. So you know your your site's got to perform from start to finish. Uh, you know that that the uh, the marketing is is just getting them in the door, but your salesperson, in essence, your website has to be able to close the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know sometimes gets overlooked in conversion rates and things when it comes to is this campaign performing? Well, it, it could be the best campaign ever, but uh, you know the other side of the house has got to match. Uh, you know I know at JetRes we've got some great uh, agency partners that. You know, I, I know work with teams like yours to make sure that uh, that they're meeting you where where they the websites need to be. Um, so, sort of a, an interesting, you know. Well, I, I suppose we've had a, a pretty good run here today, <laughs> from top to bottom. Um, gentlemen, any final thoughts to add? You know, I think when it comes to email marketing specifically. I think my opinion and, and, and views are, are pretty well known. Identify, 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 you know, build your audience. Don't play in that anonymous space. Let's use addressable marketing so we can speak directly to an individual. The simple stat is we are going to sell more. We are going to convert at higher rates if we can engage and interact with a potential customer. Um, and doing that requires some intelligence hopefully automation, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you're crafting a customer journey that's really prompting and motivating these 
prospects or these leads or these contacts to become customers. And then you're nurturing and warming that relationship over time to really drive repeat purchase. Yeah, I would echo everything that Joe just said and say that, you know, I've been in the game for a while. I've heard that email is going away every single year that I've been in the game. And I don't think it's been more relevant than today. Um, no matter the introduction of social media and, you know, SMS, it, you know, email is still, um, uh, you know, still the most effective way, in my opinion, um, to introduce your product, to get people engaged, um, to, to per, you know, continue loyalty um, because people are still using it. Awesome, man. Well, for our listeners, we really appreciate you tuning in for another episode of the podcast. Uh, you know, if you have questions or thoughts, uh, definitely we love, uh, you know, when you communicate with us and, and when you share your thoughts on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, on Facebook, wherever you, you want to connect with us, uh, certainly you can reach out directly through jetrails.com and uh, happy selling.